Baruch Hashem. Here we are. Okay, so if you remember way, way back when, I guess it was the end of January, we spoke about Avas Hashem, and we saw two different strategies for Avas Hashem in the Rambam. One approach is what we call intellectual, which maybe the Rambam believed in, because he believed that everyone was as smart as he was, and that's out of humility, not of grandiose self, uh, self-infatuation. He just he thought that everyone could accomplish this a way of accessing Hashem by looking at the world and seeing the majesty and seeing the beauty and seeing the infinity and becoming impassioned and enchanted and wanting to know more and trying to find a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And I think people of intellectual depth and intellectual curiosity have that. And hopefully, I, I think I told you when we had that share today, just be careful. There are a lot of terms. People get trapped in terms. So people say, oh, that person, he's such an intellectual. She's such an intellectual. That's actually a compliment to being intellectual. The danger is intellectualism where it's all about information and all about knowledge and all about how smart you are and never trickles down from your head down to your heart. And I think a lot of times in high school, people get stuck in intellectual traps because high schools are built, by and large, to award intellectual achievements. They just fall into line. You're a good girl. You're a good boy. You take your classes. You get all your scores, and you think that that's what success in life is. Now, if I, if I had one day to be the principal of every single high school in America and I had one... Um, executive prerogative. Like we had one change every single high school in America. First of all, it would be our choice. But one of my choices would be I would eliminate the valedictorian. Because like, why, why should schools award people for how many brain cells they have or how gifted they are intellectually? First of all, I don't think there should be an award because every person that gets an award, two, three people go home without an award, which is very insulting. Like in Israel, there's no awards. In Israel, everyone graduates and they graduate together. No, one gets, no one's meant to feel superior to anyone else. I guess in America you have to incentivize um, studies, so to incentivize studies you have to hand out awards. But in theory you could create a world in which people just study because they want to, and, and you don't have to incentivize them on someone else's back by trampling on someone else's emotions. But let's say we came to the conclusion that we wanted to give out an award. Wanted to make more sense that all the teachers should gather towards the end of the year and make, let's say, a list of the top ten important traits for being you know, character traits and then grade all the students based on who has those character traits, and then give the award to the best student based not on how smart they are. So you live in a culture, we live in a culture, that awards us for intellectual achievement, that awards us for being smart. The problem is, the biggest victim of this culture are not the people that aren't smart, because they find their way out. The biggest victims of this culture are the people that are smart, because they spend their whole life thinking that they're so great, because they win awards, and then you get into the real world, and people don't really care how smart you are. Like your husband's not going to give a hoot about how smart you are. Husband wants to know you're a good person, you're a caring person, you're a loving person, you're a selfless person. You're... So in the real world of relationships, is what matters are your kids aren't going to honor you because you're smart. Your kids won't honor you and respect you because of your values, because of your commitment, because of how hard you are, because of the kind parent you are. So you spend this whole time, and then especially when you extend that to careers, at a certain point, yes, the smarter you are, the more money will be added to your check, to your monthly paycheck. But that's not success in life. At a certain point in life, you realize... The zeros in the end of my paycheck don't make me successful. So I can make a ton of money, but if I come home and I'm a horror show and I'm a fire sale, I don't get along with my wife, I don't get along with my kids, so you're not successful in life. So it is true that intellectualism, celebrating intelligence, celebrate, we saw this on American campuses, we don't celebrate you just because you're smart. We celebrate you based on values, based on based on morality, based on commitment. We don't, there's nothing great about being smart. Hashem made some people smart, but other people less smart. And to be honest, there's a whole boatload of disadvantages that come to being smart. And there's a whole boatload of advantages that come to being not smart. I'm not a very, very smart person. If I took an IQ test, I probably would get one of the average scores in this room. 
And I'm thrilled because it forced me to be methodological. It forced me to think, to analyze, to move in stages. And I'm proud of that because I really think well. Because I'm not smart. I'd be too smart. I would think too quickly. And my mind would be discombobulated. I certainly won't be able to be a good teacher. The reason I'm a good teacher is because I'm not smart. The best teachers are not the brightest people because bright teachers go from zero to 60. And the, the real teaching is one of the most famous experiments um, in all of communication. And they took about 100 people and they divided the group into listeners and tappers. Okay? Half the group with tappers, half the group were listeners. And the tappers had to tap out songs with their finger. So let's say I'm going to tap out now. Mary had a little laugh. You hear it, right? Because I told you. They had to tap out songs without telling the listeners what they were tapping out. And the listeners had to try to decode which songs they were tapping. Okay, so they had the experiment. And they asked the listeners, the tappers, how many, what percentage of the people you think will get your songs? And they said, oh, 60%. They the, think, right, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then, they asked, then they asked the listeners, then they asked the listeners, well, how, what percentage of the songs did you actually get? And they said, not 60%, like 10%. So that's called the communication gap. Why do the tappers assume that everyone would get it? Because the tappers hear the song in their head. So they're playing the song, the Star Spangled Banner. While they're tapping, they're hearing it in their head. Whereas the listeners don't have that song in their head. So they don't, I told you the song so you could follow. But let's say this one, okay? Um, you wouldn't know it. Tumpty Dumpty. Right? If I told you, you'd know because you'd follow. But you're not hearing the song. That's called the communication gap. It's true in business. So let's say if a big company, so upper management has this vision of where the company's going and makes all the decisions based on that grand vision, but how do you translate and communicate that vision to the average worker on the assembly line so that he knows or she knows where this whole enterprise is heading? And it's true in teaching also. How many times have I taught this sugya? I don't know, 50 times? This is the first time you've heard the sugya. I just can't repeat the sugya to myself the way I know the song because the song's already playing in my mind. I'm going to get into your mind and say, oh, you don't know the song yet. How can I teach you the song? So sometimes when you're so smart, you just hear the song so quickly that you can't recreate it for people having yet heard the song. So intellectual is definitely, definitely a trait. Don't waste your mind. Train your mind. Sharpen your mind. Use your mind. Appreciate your mind as someone gave it to you. But the mind is a tool. The mind isn't the seat of identity. The mind isn't what drives human experience. The mind shouldn't be the goal. It's a means. It's like any other tool, right? No one would think that, oh, look how beautiful that person's fingers are. It's a tool. So we gave you a tool. We have fingers. We can clutch things. We can move things. We can make things. We can. It's a tool. So your mind is also a tool, but it's not identity. Identity is here. Identity is what you are, your values and beliefs. It's you're processing information. Take a second and try to find your identity outside of your head. See if you can create that disassociation. Where your head is processing information and wisdom, but there's something deeper than the neural impasses that are processing data and information. Can you get down to something, a soul, a you, a desire, a longing, uh, something beneath your mind? And maybe no one's ever said that to you, because you, like you say, you get caught in high school and you just dutifully fill out all your tests and all your term papers. And, you know, if you're sitting in this room, you're probably eight plus plus students. You're probably the girls who argue with the teacher, why did I get 109? I deserve the 111. Where are my extra two points? And the teacher probably said, shoot me now. Why am I arguing with this girl about the extra two points? Because you really want to do the right thing. And... And then you realize the things that are more important than the extra two points. Anyway, that's the Rambam's first approach to Avas Hashem. We'll call it the intellectual approach. The second approach to Avas Hashem, which we spoke about last week, was what we call developmental or, or attitudinal, or a month ago. Attitudinal means how do you see religion? Remember I showed, did I tell you the dream metaphor? Remember the dream metaphor? Remember the dream? No? 
Anyone? I'll say it again. You'll thank me if I said it. It was a long time ago. What Hashem came to you tonight in a dream? Remember? I told you you can eat anything. Right. Do you see religion is stifling and suffocating and against your interest and antithetical to human interest? And Hashem tells you, no, 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 no. Or do you see that a Kaddish Baruch Hu's way of life is the best way to lead your life? That's why the Torah doesn't mention Olam Haba. Because if we mention Olam Haba too frequently, it would frame Avodah Hashem as a sellout of this world just to punch your ticket to the next world. Hashem doesn't want you to see it that way. So Hashem is offering you Torah mitzvahs as if there weren't an Olam Haba. Even if there weren't an Olam Haba, which there is. But even if there weren't an Olam Haba, if there weren't an Olam Hazeh, it would still pay to follow the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu because it will enhance your, your experience in Olam Hazeh. And therefore, once you see religion as synchronous with Hashem's will, then you love Him because His will and His Torah makes you a better person. And you thank Him for giving you Torah because it makes you a better person the same way you love your spouse one day, Mr. Hashem, because they made you a better person. You love your teacher, hopefully, because they made you into a better person. In the end, as you grow older, your love matures. And your love isn't a function of physical, it tastes good, it looks good, it looks pretty, it feels pretty, it feels good. Ultimately, it's not sensory. When you're young, love is sensory. You're feeling it. It's like a baby. A baby has a lot of sensory experience. How does a baby grow? Touches, walks, sees. What does a baby do the first thing? Put it in his mouth. Everything's in the mouth. Because the tongue is even more equipped to sense. Because the t- sense of taste develops well before the sense of space and depth of perception. And then put it in the mouth. So he's sensing his way through. As you're growing, and you're still growing, you're still maturing, so your emotions are also based on sensory. You feel good, it tastes good, it feels pretty, it looks. It, at a certain point, love is internalized. And it has nothing to do with looks, it has nothing to do with taste, it has nothing to do with feel, it has nothing to do with how soft it is, how furry it is, how exciting it is, how your heart is racing. It's just meaning. It doesn't give me meaning. I, want, I love because that person may be better, because this idea makes me better, because so if you see Baruch who's Ratzon in that light, then you love Hashem, as the Rabbim says, if you remember the name of the phrase was Osa Es HaEmes, Bipneshu Emes. You do what's right, because it's right. Not because of an external incentivization. Right? The best word for that, I would call, not just in religion, but in life, the best word for that is probably integrity. You know, people use the word integrity, that person has a lot of integrity. Right? Now, the truth is, the word integrity just means integration. You're the same person no matter where you are. Which means you're never acting based on public perception, based on context, based on uh, reputation, based on you do what's right, even in every context. And even when I was watching, right, let's say in theory, a person were to be, I don't know, a murderer, no matter whichever scene they're in. They murder at home, they murder at work, they murder in school, they murder in private. We say that person has integrity, right? Their lives are integrated. They're always murdering. We use the word integrity to refer to moral integrity, where you're integrated in a moral sense. But in theory, integrity just means integration. And that's the goal of life. The goal of life is to be the same person and the same moral person, no matter what context you're in. That in the world of Midos is called Shlemus. Shlemut. And Shlemut is something that you probably can only get to way, 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 way down the lines. It takes a lot of work. It's something... Avram is seen as the, uh, as the, exempl- as the exemplar of, of uh, Shlemut. Hashem berachat Avram bakol. Avram zakin babayamim. Hashem berachat Avram bakol. But life is trying to reach that Shlemut. Like, ask yourself, how, when do you feel divided? Like, how do you act? And you, obviously, because you're 19 or 18, that, that's what life is. You obviously have different views that come out in different contexts. So when you're sitting in front of SD in the Beit Midrash and she's 
railing about who knows what. There's one youth that comes out. And then when you're with your friends at a cafe, there's another youth that comes out, and, and they're always different youths. And the goal in life is to try to put all of them into sync, and then, then everything is just the same person. And as you grow older, you'll start to see your various identities start to merge. And you find someone at work, and at home, I hope that, let's say at my age, if you came and visited me at home, so it may be different. I'm not sitting in front of you. Maybe even dressed different. Maybe, let's say, it's a summer day, and I'm making a barbecue, and I'm wearing a pair of shorts or something, whatever. So I may not look this way, but all of a sudden you feel, you know, it's really the same person. He's dressing different because, whatever, he's going swimming, or because of the outside, whatever, or uh, his dirt on him, because the, but it's the same person, even if I'm not talking. Let's say behind the, the grill making, a, making food or something. So that's what you have to try to reach, and the, that phrase, Osesa Emes, or Neshu Emes, is the closest that comes to that. You do what's right because it's right, not for any in- external incentivization. Okay, let's spend a little bit of time, because I could talk forever now, Vas Hashem. Let's spend a little bit of time in Yerushalayim, and the interaction between the two, and if we have some time, how uh, our current situation, and the current period, and the current crisis, like which, which of these two is it evoking. Okay, Yerushalayim does not mean fear. Absolutely nothing to do with fear. That is called either Yerashachet, where you're afraid of the toxic effects of chet. Do you realize that when you encounter a chet, right, when, probably the closest I can describe Yerashachet, remember the last time you ate milchik or chalavi too soon after fleshik, you forgot and you felt <laughs> like something inside of you when you eat something, or you ate something, I don't know if it ever happened to you, you ate something that wasn't kosher and you found that afterwards. I mean, if something didn't happen to you, it always happens here or there, something wasn't kosher. You feel that something has invaded your system, something toxic, something poisonous, something you shouldn't have eaten, and you feel like, they tell a story about Rav Moshe Feinstein. It's a legendary story, probably didn't happen. First-hand witnesses said it didn't happen, but all these stories, it's called folklore. And the stories we tell about great people and the stories we tell about Jewish people, they probably didn't happen, but the stories themselves are reflective. So they tell a story about Moshe Feinstein that he was once drinking some milk, which he found out to be, discovered to be, it wasn't Chal of Yisrael. So he ran over to the sink and he made himself throw up the milk. <laughs> now, remember, it wasn't treif milk. It was Chal of Yisrael milk, not Chal of Yisrael milk. And even if it was treif milk, you drank it already. Whatever happened, happened. You did a bishogging. You're not going to force yourself to throw up. But even though we don't force ourselves to throw up, I think we all identify to some degree with that feeling where something has entered our body, entered our system, entered our digestive tract. It's going to be absorbed. The nutrients are going to be part of our bloodstream. Part. Yeah, you, know, you, you feel like you've, something's toxic. Can we bring that same attitude to everything? Can you feel that even though it's not entering your body, every time you violate a Kaddish Baruch Hu's will, that's a toxic moment. You're exposed to something which isn't just usher, but it's dangerous spiritually. You don't know why. We don't know the answers to everything. That would be what I would call Yerasachet. I told you the story about Moshe Feinstein. A similar story is told about the Vilna Gon. The Vilna Gon was sitting at the Shabbos table, and some of the children were playing with the shells of nuts. Now, the shells of nuts are muksa. You can't touch them. You can remove them just to throw them in the garbage. But if you're playing with them, you're basically touching something muksa because they're not roi lachila. So those shells, unless they're edible, like peanut, the, the light shell of a peanut, not, not the harsh husk of a peanut, but the light shell you can eat. So that, obviously, if you wanted to, you can eat. That's just not, it's not the muksa. But let's say you have a pistachio nut, let's say. And you open the pistachio nut and you put the shell on the side. So just to play around with the pistachio nut, you t- the shell is muksa. So he was looking around and one of the kids was playing around with the shells. So he fainted. 
he was so appalled that Chil Shabbos was taking place at his table that he fainted. So they revived him and they brought him back up and they forgot to remove the shells of the fish bones and the fish bones, so he fainted again. So the Rebbitson said, first move the fish, bo- fish bones, then we'll revive him a third, a third time. Okay, I don't think any of us are going to reach that level of dread when we see an Avera and we're so overwhelmed and we, we, we absorb the shock and the trauma that we faint. Or that we, but that's Yerosachit. Can you have a fear, a toxicity, a, 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 a dread of coming into contact with things you see, things you hear, things that you experience? They're not just, oh, I committed an Avera. But there's something that's happened to me, like drinking milk when you shouldn't. There's something called Yeras HaOnesh, which is not just Yeras HaChet, but fearing Onesh. Hashem created, interestingly enough, the capacity in us not to know. Right? If you knew the Onesh you'd get, then we'd fall apart, right? Every moment. You know, could you imagine living in the base of Mikdash, not even an Onesh? Every time you violate Shabbos Peshogig, you bring up carbon Chatas. That gets pretty, that gets pretty deterrent. That gets pretty, right? you can't, we can't imagine what it was like to live in a world of cause and effect. Could you imagine if every time you did an Avera, you got COVID-19? You guy went to bed for a week. It would be a deterrent. We just don't live in a world of cause and effect because the effects are disconnected from the cause. And we've gotten used to that world and we forgot, we fell so far from that state that we forgot what that state was like. Could you imagine if every moment you veered or deviated from the path, there was an immediate consequence. So consequences bring discipline and consequences shape behavior. We don't live in a world of immediate consequences. We live in a world of deferred consequences. But the ultimate goal for Yira is not Yira Sachet, nor is it Yiras HaOnesh, but what in the Sfarim is called Yiras HaRavamus. And the best HaRavamut. And the best way to describe it, as we'll see in a moment, is not fear, because fear evokes dread and anxiety and fright and cowardness. It's awe. Will you realize, listen carefully to a two-step definition of Yiras Shemayim. Not Yiras HaChet, not Yiras HaOnesh, but Yiras Shemayim. The fear of heaven. Why do we say heaven? Because heaven is an institution. Heaven is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in heaven, which is a metaphor for the fact that he's beyond us. We don't know him, we don't understand him, his will is broader than ours, he's smarter than us, we higher will. And here's the second part, because I can't understand him, therefore I submit to him, even when I don't understand him. And that is what makes it the polar opposite of Abbas Hashem. The height of Abbas Hashem is when you understand HaKadosh Baruch Oh, I understand that this mitzvah is healthy for me. I understand that this Avera is dangerous for me. I understand that why he performed a miracle in Mitzrayim. I see his hand in history. History makes sense to me. When you understand Hashem, and it makes sense, and it syncs with your interest, and with your logic, that's Havas Hashem. Because you understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu, His ways are known to you, and you can synchronize them with your interest, and you can see how His instructions or historical hand is improving your life. Your Hashemayim is the exact opposite. When there's no way you can understand them because it's too baffling. And at that point, you just submit to Hashem and you say, you know what, I can't understand you. I'm still going to worship you. And let's go back to the only person in Tanakh who's called the Shemayim. I told you the only person in Tanakh that's called an Oyev Hashem is Avraham. Because Avraham uncovered this synchronicity between Hashem's will and human interest. Because he was the first to discover that Hashem's will will enhance the human condition. That's why he was not just a philosopher, but also a philanthropist, a do-gooder. He couldn't just talk the talk about Hashem being moral and compassionate. He had to actually walk the walk and be a moral, compassionate person to be an agent of Hashem's compassion. 
Okay, so if you remember, I showed you two weeks ago. Is it on the page here? Avram is the only person called an Oiv Hashem. You'll have to trust me on this one. I forgot, it didn't come out on this sheet. However, Avram is also the only person called a Yirei Shemayim, Noel Fenach, source 10. Okay, we'll talk about the source a little bit later, but let's just see the source. Vayomer, Al Tishlach Yer this is a Pasuk in the Akedah, V'al Ta'aslo Mi'uma, Ki, Ata Yadati, Ki Yirei Elukim Ata, V'lo Chasach Desbincha, Girls, the only time in all of Tanakh that a person is called Yerei Shemayim. Key word in this Pasuk is Ki Atayadati. Now I know. Why is Hashem saying now I know? Malach is speaking, but in the name of Hashem, Ki Atayadati. The answer is, Avram proved his whole life that he could serve Hashem out of Avas Hashem because his whole life he understood Hashem. Namely, he understood how Hashem's will is in sync and in parallel and overlaps with human interest. So his whole life was one long journey of Avas Hashem. At this point, he can't understand Hashem because there is no way to understand the fact that Hashem instructed him to kill his son. In fact, not only can't he understand Hashem, it's forbidden to understand Hashem. Because if Avram makes believe he's a murderer and it makes sense and he's a cold-blooded murderer, he can't, not only... Can't he wrap his head around it? It's morally forbidden for him to think that he should be killing his son from a human moral perspective. The entire drama of the arcade is can you submit human will to the divine mystery? Can you accept Takarish Baruch's will when you can't understand it, when you mustn't understand it? And that was Avram's <coughs> final lesson. And that's why Hashem says, Ata Yadati Kimata. Your whole life and your whole career, you proved to me that you're an Oiv Hashem. Now you prove to me that you're a Yerushalayim. Auschwitz is not a moment of Avas Hashem. Auschwitz is you don't understand Hashem. It makes no sense to you. And you draw upon your Yerushalayim and you say, it's not always going to make sense and have to submit to the mystery. October 7th was not Avas Hashem. I don't understand why this happened. How could this happen in Eretz Yisrael? We thought this would be different. We thought the army would protect us. Time, like I say, what happened? You guys know it after after wax about what happened, and that's where Yerushalayim comes in. That's why Yerushalayim has to sit at the bedrock of religious identity, because you have to start with the premise you won't always understand Hashem. And when you do understand, it's great. Avas Hashem, you leap up to Avas Hashem. But when you don't, it's like a trapeze artist. Every trapeze artist needs a safety net for the times they'll fall off of the high wire. So Abbas Hashem is the higher achievement because it's representative or it reflects synchronicity between Hashem's will and your will. And that's the highest achievement. But there are moments which you fall off the high wire, right? You don't fall off, it's just the high wire fails. And you need the safety net of Yerashamayim. That's why David HaMelech says, Reishis is Chachma Hashem. The foundation of Chachma has to be Yerashavayim. Because if you navigate life assuming you'll always understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu, your religion will come to a screeching halt when you can't understand Hashem. Yerashavayim is that insurance policy. And when you don't understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you'll still have Yerashavayim. And this is the insurance policy that Avram wrote for all of us. Ati Kirei Those are the twin poles of Avon Yerah.
So don't call them love and fear. That's a lazy interpretation that will get you nowhere. How do you love Hashem? What does that even mean? How do I fear Hashem, right? Do you feel fear often? We're not a generation of fear. We don't feel fear. We feel courage, bravery. Translate them into different modalities. Understanding, non-understanding. Logic, mystery. Congruence, incongruence. Congruence between HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will and my will. Incongruence in His will. Those are words you can process. When is Hashem congruent with your will? Hopefully, for most of your life, you've had easy upbringings. Hopefully, you've had you know, a lot of health and your families have been comfortable and supportive. What will happen? I hope it doesn't happen. But what will happen when you reach a point in your life where you just can't understand why she's doing this to you? Why is such and such sick? Why is such and such, I don't know, losing uh, someone in the family? Why is this tragedy happening? Why did October 7th happen? Why did the Holocaust happen? Why, why, terror attack? Those are the moments you have to draw on your Yerushalayim and say, I don't understand. Just because I don't understand doesn't mean I won't serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I won't have a moon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why Yerushalayim and Avas Hashem are the foundations, the pistons that drive the engine. You want to strive for Avas Hashem, of course, that's the highest level, the highest madrega. But you won't always be able to. And if it's all based on understanding and deciphering Hashem's will, there are times that it will remain mysterious. And that's the sixth parsha. Your Moshe asks to understand Hashem. And he's made so much headway. Look at what he's been through the last couple of months. He performed the Makos. He took the Jewish people from Israel. He split the Hamsaf. He went up to Shemayim. He davened. He saw, the, he saw everything. And he asked Hashem, can I really see your totality? And Hashem said, get under the boulder. Because you can't see anything. So you have to be sheltered by the boulder. And you'll see my back. You won't see my front. Now back doesn't mean this. I have a back. See my back? My neck. Hashem doesn't have a back. Achorai means you'll get a glimpse of Hashem, but not, it won't be logical to you. It won't be illogical to you. It'll be, it won't be the front, it'll be the back. And that's the lesson Hashem gave Hashem. That's the lesson that Avram discovered at the Akedah. That's why it was so important to challenge Avram to perform something that his mind couldn't rationalize, his logic couldn't justify. Okay? Now here's the question. How do you build the two? Like, does Yira provide Ava? Or does Ava provide Yira? What would you think? They feed into each other, but is there a, develop, is there a developmental sequence? Does one feed, they, they, they synthesize with one another, and they complement each other, and they balance each other, but is there a A leading to B? So I'll show you, and then we'll see the Rambam if we have time, I'll show you three situations Two from Tanakh, one from Archazal, where evidently the Rambam agrees with this, and I'll show you that David Melech understood it if we have enough time, and we won't have enough time for that, but we'll at least discuss the Tanakh, where Ava leads to Yira. But not that Yira is fear. Love is not going to lead to fear. But if Yira means understanding you don't know Hashem, here's the catch, I'll listen very, very carefully. The only way that you can know that you don't know Hashem, which is the ultimate Yira Shemayim, because you submit to Hashem, is to try and fail. Because until you try and fail, you don't know what you don't know. So follow me. You've been here in, Yish, in Migdalos for seven months. Are you a bigger Tamidei Chachamah or bigger Amharats? You're a bigger Amharats. Because when you were in high school, you got 100 on your test of two, Dapir Kamara. You thought you were exceptional. And you hardly knew 
what you didn't know. Now that you've put forth all this effort, you know how little you know. So the more that you uncover about large or certainly infinity, the more you know how little you know. So when you start at September 1st, you are Amaharetz about the fact that you're an Amaharetz. Now that you've been here for seven months, you're a Talmud Chacham about the fact that you're an Amaharetz. You know that you don't know anything. And you know what? That's going to continue your whole life. The more that you uncover, the more you realize you don't know. So if, let's say Albert Einstein walked in the room right now. Who would be a bigger Amaharetz about physics? The answer is he would be. Because I know nothing about physics. I couldn't even tell you what I don't know. It's, just, it's all just massive information. He could say, I can explain this, and I can explain this, and I can explain this. This phenomenon I can't explain. And therefore, he had a sharper sense of his inability to understand physics. I'm just so confused about physics that I wouldn't even know that I don't know. So certainly when it comes to Kaddish Baruch Hu, if the goal of Yerushalayim is to know you don't know, the only way you could reach that goal of knowing you don't know is to try to know. And then realize how little you know. Namely, the search for Hashem and the ability to synchronize Hashem's will and your will when it proceeds and it evolves and it advances and it ends up in its limited form, then you realize if you don't know and then you've reached your Hashemayim. Namely, Ava leads to Yira. And Yira protects the integrity of Ava because when you know you don't know, then you know. Because if you think you know, you don't know. But if you know you don't know Hashem, then you know Hashem. Right? If you think you know Hashem, it's a Vodazar. Because you're humanizing Hashem. But if you know you don't know, then you know. So the root to year is Ava. And recognizing you don't know protects the integrity of Hashem's presence, that Hashem isn't your little sister or your friend, or you know you don't know Kaddish Baruch then you know. So let's follow that trail. What happens in Avram's life? His entire life is Avas Hashem. Trying to understand Hashem, trying to spread word of Hashem, trying to teach people about Hashem, trying to synchronize Hashem. And then as he pushes back the frontiers of knowing Hashem and knowing Hashem, Hashem says, oh, now you think you know me. Now see if you can serve me when you don't know me. But if the Akedah would happen in the beginning of Avram's career, it would be hollow. Because it would be like a high school girl submitting to Hashem without knowing that she doesn't know. But once Avram spends all that time knowing Hashem and thinking he knows Hashem and knowing and knowing and all that knowledge makes him realize all of Avram's career paved the way, prepared him for the Akedah. Because all of his studies and all of his inquiry and all of his probing taught him there's no way I can know Hashem. But you can only know that you don't know him when you try to know him. So all of Avram's life he tried to know Hashem and then he realized I will not know Hashem and he was prepared for the Akedah. So Ava leads to the Akedah. Ava leads to Yira. And Yira protects Ava. And it's a cycle. And that's how the cycle begins. You try to know Akedah Baruch you realize you don't know. You try to know more, you realize you don't know. The realizing you don't know is always the check against humanizing Hashem, thinking that I know Akedah Baruch self self-confidence. I don't know Hashem. I want to know more about Hashem. I know about Hashem. I see there's a lot of Tanakhs here. I don't think I put it on the... Uh, I don't think I put it on the Makaras. I'll bring you Tanakh for a second to Parachas here. Here's two Tanakhs, or if you have on your phones, Tehillim. Tehillim Parachas. You'll see this very clearly in, in David HaMelech. Okay, Tehillim Parachas. The Rambam quotes this Parachas, but I want, I want you to see the Parachas in context, the whole Parachas, not just the phrases that, that, that uh, the Rambam quotes. Here it's Parachas. 
Okay, um, I'm saying here. Okay, Hashem Adoneinu, Ma Adir Shimcha B'Chalaretz, How Great Is Your Name, You're So Glorious, Hashem Tadot Chal HaShemayim, Ki Era Shemecha, Like a Pasuk Dalar, When I Look at the Skies, Maseyat Tzvotecha, The Handiwork of Your Fingers, Yerech V'Kochavim Asher Kananta, The Stars and the Moon that You Established. What's my initial response? Manosh Ki What is man? Manosh. Nothing. Meaningless. When I look at the stars, when I try to probe you, then I'm humbled, and I realize how little I know, because I see the vast eternity, and I see the largeness, and I see the breadth. This is the Rambam, or this is the Parakin Tehillim, which the Rambam quotes in Hilchos Yisod that we read last month about Avat Hashem. So that sequencing between Avat Hashem and Yerat Hashem happened in Avram's career. And the second time that it happened was at the Amsaf. Famous Pasuk in the Amsaf, you say it every day in Davening, now you'll know the, the inner meanings of this Pasuk. Source 13, last source. What happens? They saw Hashem at the Yamsuf like human beings had never seen Hashem before. So much so that the Torah actually uses a word about Hashem, which to us feels almost her- heretical. Vayar Yisrael, seeing Hashem. And it's completely antithetical to Jewish belief that you can't see Hashem. Now you're not seeing Hashem, you're seeing the Hagdullah. But they saw more at the Yamsuf than they saw at Mitzrayim. And you remember from the Haggadah that Mitzrayim is a one to five scale of the Yamsuf. Whatever happened in Mitzrayim, five times happened at the Yamsuf, and then we just have to do the math. If there was 10 at Mitzrayim, there was 50 at the Yamsuf. If there was uh, 100 at Mitzrayim, you just have to scale it by five. So what happens? Read the Pasuk. Vayar Yisrael at Mitzrayim etel svasayim. Vayar Yisrael tiyar hagdola asher saw Hashem ben Mitzrayim. They saw Hashem. What did that seeing and vision create? Vayiru. Yer Shemayim. Again, they're not, what? Now, they're not called Yer Shemayim. But they reach the experience of Yer Shemayim. Look carefully. Re'iyah yields Yerah. Re'iyah, seeing, understanding, knowing that you understand, but how little you understand, because once you try to understand, you realize you can't understand, promotes yira. Vayar creates vayiru. And the fact that they are vayiru protects the integrity of vayar. That's the cycle. What does Avram call the mountain? That he recognizes yira shemayim, which protects his re'iyah, Behar Hashem, Yerah. Is that Re'ia or Yira? It's both. Behar Hashem, Yerah. I see, and I, once I see, I realize how little I see. That's why those two words are juxtaposed. Re'ia and Yira. Etymology, people used to study etymology very, very seriously in the medieval period. If you're the Evan Ezra, if you're the Rebbe Tam, you spend time studying grammar, you spend time studying etymology, where words come from. You have a little bit of this in Rashi. Is Re'ia and Yira, did they come from the same etymology? We would think not. We would think that one is Yud Reish Aleph. We believe that most Hebrew words are three letters. The root is three letters. So Yira is Yud Reish Aleph, and Re'ia comes from the root Reish Aleph Hey. So they don't seem to be etymologically, the way we treat etymology, we don't feel that they're connected. But this Pasuk juxtaposes. Vayar, Vayiru. 
Hashem comes to Avram in the beginning of Parsha's Vayera. He sees him. Vayera, love Hashem, and Amrei. And on the mountain, he doesn't see Hashem, Bahar Hashem, Birah. But he's seen by Hashem. It's one of those deliciously vague words. Bahar Hashem, Birah. Who's seeing whom? Is Hashem seeing me? Am I seeing Hashem? Am I not seeing Hashem? Bahar Hashem, Birah. Shalosh Pam Mashana. Yeraya calls the Chorachas, Ben Hashem, Elokecha. Three times a year, we should be seen. Why? I mean, we should be seen because we can't see Hashem. Best we can do is be seen by Hashem by being in the presence of Hashem because we can't see Hashem because we can't understand Hashem. So Yira always means be seen rather than see because we can't see Hashem. Finally, since I have five minutes, but you guys don't have to get on the bus right now five minutes. Is that all right? Okay. Hope I use all my cars. I hope I gave it to you. No, no, no. Okay. I'll draw it on the board. Twice in Shas, the Gemara says that Shimon, it's the Gemara Msachim, and Shimon Hamsuni, one of the members of Chazal, one of the Tanayim, was Darish every S in the Torah. Anytime the Torah uses an extra et, why does it say Kabed et avicha vetimecha? The Torah could have written Kabed avicha vimecha. Why does the Torah use Kabed et avicha vetimecha? Does anyone know the Gemara's drasha? Come on, you guys sit there. Who's an older girl in the family? Who has younger siblings? Then not only do you have to respect your parents, you have to respect your older sibling. So, Et teaches that at the Chicha or Achotcha Hagdola. So, a younger sibling has a Chir to respect, I'm sorry, has a Chir to respect an older sibling. So, every time the Torah uses Et, it has a replay. Then, when Shimon Hamsuni got to the following Pasuk, he was stuck. What can I possibly include by the word et Hashem l'kechatira? Why don't you write Hashem l'kechatira? What et Hashem l'kechatira? What can I include? I can't. So we're stuck. So Tamid McCain said, Rabbi Shimon, like, how does it feel to be stuck? So he said, very famous line, Keshem shekibalti schar al hadrisha kach kibalti schar al hadrisha now, I'll tell you the wrong way to read that Gemara, and I'll tell you the right way to read the Gemara. The wrong way is he told us something to me, you know what? I worked hard. I got a 99. I darshan almost every et in the Torah. I know my limits. I know when to call it a day. I know when to hang up my cleats. I don't have a drush on this. I'm not going to say something dishonest or fraudulent. Just like I get schar for honest drushes, I get schar for pulling back and knowing my limits. So I don't have an answer, but I got it. That's the wrong way to learn the Gemara. You know the right way to learn the Gemara? Prisha here is not failing. Why couldn't Rabbi Shimon Hamsuni darshan anything from this Pasuk? Why was the Pasuk that got him? Can you love other things in life like you love Hashem? The answer is yes, because it's built on the same uh, circuitry. You love Hashem because you realize how meaningful it is to you, and you can find other meaning but Yira Shamayim is exclusive. Can you fear anything like you fear? Can you be in awe? No, because the definition of Yira Shamayim is exclusive to Hashem, because nothing is non understandable like Hashem. So there could be nothing in this Pasuk of Hashem Tira that you can compare to Yira Shamayim, because Yira Shamayim means complete inadequacy to understand Hashem. And there's nothing in this law I can't understand. I can't understand it. So when Rabbi Shimon said, I'm not going to add anything in this Pasuk, he wasn't running away from it. He said, I am protecting your Shemayim by telling you what it is. 
And it is something that can't be extended to anything else. So the Prisha wasn't, I give up, I don't know. The Prisha was the Drasha. The Prisha was the Drasha here. This is the Drisha. You know how I'm teaching you about Yerushalayim? By not extending it to anything else. But it gets even better. You know how I was able to get to this Prisha to know that I don't know? All the years that I spent studying Hashem and knowing. Like Avram, like the Amsaf. All my Re'ia helped me achieve Yira. So all my years of Drisha, namely, not going to Drisha all my years of understanding Hashem, helped me to this point that I know that Yerushalayim means I can't understand him and I'm not going to add anything to that Pasuk. So Keshem Shekibalti Schara La Drisha, all the years of Drisha, help me understand this moment of Prisha, which itself is Drisha, because knowing that I don't know means that I know. That's what he meant. It's all the same. I would never have known that I don't know Hashem unless I spent all these years trying to know Hashem. And now that I don't know Hashem, because I'm proving to you I can't know Hashem because I'm not extending this Russia for anything, it's not that he didn't have ideas. You want to make up an idea? Rekiva came into the room and he said, you know what? Fear Talmud Chachamim. That's the way you access Hashem, which is the old question, can you use Talmud Chachamim as a symbol of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Like, I'll, I'll give you Rabbi Akiva's voice. I can begin to imagine HaKadosh Baruch Hu's infinity by the fact that I met such great people and I realized it was so beyond anything I'll ever be. Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe you haven't. That their fill-in-the-blanks is so like, let's say, let's say you met me, okay? I imagine you could all imagine yourself, I don't know, you're a female, male, but becoming me, or, or hey, work hard enough, you got enough of me, and I'm not like beyond, I'm like in some, oh my goodness, this guy landed on some other planet. Okay, he's a rabbi, he's teaching us, he's... But then there are people you meet that just, I can't imagine ever being with our look. Like, it's something so far beyond anything in my imagination, the level of piety, the level of erudition, the level of... I just felt like someone landed from a different planet. And I realized if I take that and multiply it by a gazillion times, maybe I'll get a taste of what Hashem is. A gazillion, gazillion. So when you see a Talmud Chacham of that caliber, Rabbi Kiva said, yes. If you're in awe of the Talmud Chacham, you, let me put it to you differently, do you even know what awe is? It could be, I think it's probably true, that in your generation we've eliminated awe. Because everything has answers and science has uncovered so much and if you get a chance, I don't, I don't want to like you know plug my own shear, but if you get a chance, listen on why you tower to the shear I gave, or was it last week on Sneas? Because I keep talking about this, it's just every time I hear people get it wrong, it's just so Sneas has nothing to do with women's clothing. It's like anyone who says it has said there. Sneas is a deportment, and it applies to males and females, and it means not drawing attention to yourself. Because Hashem's in the room. And when Hashem's in the room, you don't want to project yourself too much. You always have the constant, you know, the broader shoulders in the room, Hashem's in the room. And it has to do with males and how they behave and how, some, you know, to a degree their hair, to a degree. And it also happens to apply to women because the Kodesh Baruch made the female form attractive. And therefore, you draw attention to yourself if you create a dress in a certain way that people... But to just make the leap from sneers to how long your dress is, and I know a lot of women, again, of course you have to dress with sneers, that's one of the manifestations, but to reduce it all to dress, and only to females, it's, it's warping the concept. And to be honest, I know a lot of women, I don't, I don't know that many women, I'm just saying, I've met women, and they dress in ways that are sneeristic, but the behavior is not. And vice versa. 
I've met women that I don't necessarily agree with their level of serious, but their personality is just they don't want people talking about them. They don't want to be in the limelight. They don't want to they don't want to be about them. They don't want to be a subject of people's conversation because Kurdish Baruch is in the room. And I tell boys, one of the traits, this may sound chauvinistic, but it isn't. Say one of the traits you should look for in a girl when you date is sneers. And don't just look at the way she dresses. Look at her personality. Because Hashem created a male ego. And the ego always wants attention and always wants to be out there and always wants to project. And it gets very crass and very, very cheap and very ugly. And part of completing yourself is having someone in your life that reminds you it's not about getting attention. It's not about people looking at you and talking about you. There's something deeper. And that's how you complete one another. And there's Hashem when you get married. So I don't know how I got to this. What was I talking about? Yeah, let's talk. What was I talking about before I mentioned this? Right, immediately before. It's very tired today. Come on, what are they talking about? What? No, there's something else. Ah, okay. I wanted to say about something else in that chair, about something I talked about before, immediately prior. And I lost the thought. And there's, well, remember? There was something in the shear that I said, in this shear, and I said, Listen to the share I gave on Sneer last week. There's something in that share. Ah. No, I no, no. didn't get it. Okay, too tired to pull it out. Okay, it's there. Let, recommend the share of Sneer Torah. But anyway, but getting back to what we, the rabbis. Teachers. Yeah, being right. Or, oh, or oh, right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Or oh, right. So when I was giving that share, part of what I said is that part of the difficulty today in relationship building is that relationship is about discovery. Namely, you're intrigued by something and you want to discover more about that and then you engage and you open your mind, you open your heart, you want to get to know that issue more. And there's a mystique and an awe and everything is just so open and clear and, and there's so much clarity in our world. We don't feel awe, we also don't feel mystery. So if, you, if you're dating someone, and before you go out on a date, you know about all their life, it's very hard to fall in love with them because all their information is on Facebook. So, like, where's the discovery? Or, Lamashal, if a person doesn't dress with sneers and everything's just right out there, there's no mistake. There's no, you want to discover more about a person. You want to find out, and that's what makes you fall in love with something the process of discovering, the process of engaging, the process of knowing. And that's why, you know, that basically. You know, the, the boy has to be the discoverer. That's the way Hashem made that, made, made the male-female relation. It has to be the one driving. You know, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of dating advice. If you're pulling him, that should be the date. He should be chasing you. Okay, that's like the, the baseline of dating. You'll miss Hashem one day, you'll go out. If you feel that you have to be the puller for too long, that's not healthy. He should be the one running after you and chase. I don't mean running after you with chocolates and flowers. I mean moving and trying to discover you and trying to understand you and trying to get into your world and your place, that's a healthy... That, that, that relationship is going to end in a healthy marriage. Not if you have to pull them along and say, let's get married. And that, That's not the way to build your relationship. Anyway, I don't, I don't know how we got from the Yerusha mind to dating advice, but <laughs> Shabbat Shalom, everyone. <laughs> Next week, more dating advice. From <laughs> okay. Have a good Shabbat. Where is everyone for Shabbat? Everywhere but loose, no, no Shabbat here on the... Really? What? Who's in the It's a pretty place. A hotel or something. Oh, who's Shabbaton is there? It's seven. What's in seven? It's a program on Fridays for like...
Oh, nice. Nice, nice. Anyone else going through exotic places? Where are you going? Renata. Renata. What? Is anyone going to like a real hardcore Israeli place? <laughs> 